Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. This month, I'm going to mix things up just a little bit. I've decided for the month of September, I'm going to cover only true crime cases out of South Africa and there are a lot of them. One of my listeners sent me in a whole list of stories out of South Africa that I've never heard of. They didn't give me permission to name them here publicly, so I won't, but a big thank you for your suggestion. I'm kicking things off tonight with the case of Daisy DeMelker, a young woman from Grahamstown, South Africa, who came from dirt and decided that she wanted more out of life. She was willing to do whatever it took to ensure that she lived a pampered, cushy life far from the poverty-stricken home that she grew up in. This meant crushing anything and anyone who stood in her way. 
Daisy was a mother, a wife, and she would become one of South Africa's most prolific female serial killers. So let's jump right in. Before she was ever the infamous Daisy DeMelker, she was born Daisy Hancorn Smith on June 1st, 1886 in Grahamstown, South Africa. She grew up in a very poor family. There were 11 children in total, so there were a lot of mouths to feed. For whatever reason that is not clear to me, when Daisy was 12 years old, she moved to Rhodesia, which is now what we call Zimbabwe, with her father and her two brothers. She would spend three years here before her father decided that it was time she focused on getting a good education. Daisy was very bright, very smart, and she had a lot of potential. Daisy was enrolled in the Good Hope Boarding School located in Cape Town, and she would return back to visit her family in Rhodesia during the holidays. It was during her time away at boarding school that Daisy was given a taste of freedom and what life might be like if she lived in a city versus staying at her family home in rural Rhodesia. So when she finally finished boarding school for good and graduated and returned home, she didn't stay there long before she embarked on her next adventure. She wanted to be a nurse, so she enrolled in classes at the Berea Nursing Home back in Durban, South Africa. She continued to return to Rhodesia to visit family for holidays, ensuring never to stay long enough to make anyone think that she might actually be staying for good. During one of these visits back home, Daisy met a man named Bert Fuller, and the pair fell in love. Bert was a gentleman with a pretty decent job working as a civil servant in the Native Affairs Department. The couple had plans to marry in October of 1907. However, when the big day finally arrived, tragedy struck. Bert contracted black water fever, which is apparently a complication of contracting malaria. He died on the day of what was supposed to be their wedding day, with Daisy sitting at his bedside. Bert would leave behind Daisy 100 pounds, which is around $125 US. Not a whole lot, but it was the equivalent of just under $4,000 today. A little over a year after Bert had passed away, Daisy met a plumber from Johannesburg named William Elford Cowell, who went by the name Elfie. The pair would get married in March of 1909 when Daisy was 23 years old and William was 36. In total, they would have five children together. However, the first four babies would die when they were just little. Daisy's first pregnancy would result in twins who passed away shortly after being born because they were born prematurely. Her third child would die from an abscess on their liver, and then the fourth passed away at 15 months old after they battled issues with their bowels and began suffering from convulsions. Childhood mortality rates were really high back in the early 1900s, so it wasn't as shocking back then as it would be today to have your first four babies all die in their infancy. Somehow, Daisy and Elfie continued to try to have children, and in June of 1911, 
they would finally get their wish as their only surviving child, a son named Rhodes, would be born. Over the next decade, by all outward appearances, Daisy, Elfie, and their son, Rhodes, they were like any other family. Elfie worked really hard. He worked long hours while Daisy stayed home and maintained the house. Their son, Rhodes, was described by some of the neighbors as being a bit lazy and not living up to his full potential, but altogether, they seemed to be a typical, normal family. Around the Christmas holidays in 1922, neighbors noticed that Elfie wasn't looking like his normal self. His skin was gray, it was pale, and overall, he just appeared to be very sickly looking. He wasn't eating, he was losing a ton of weight, and he would often have fainting spells just out of nowhere. He struggled to do very basic things like tending to his garden, something that he typically really enjoyed doing. This mysterious illness never kept him from missing a day of work though. Daisy would tell their neighbors, their friends, and family that her husband was having bad spells and not doing well. In the early morning hours of January 11th, 1923, shortly after the Christmas holidays had finished up, Elfie's health took a turn for the worse. That morning, as he was getting ready to go to work, he suddenly became violently ill as he was lacing up his boots. He began convulsing. Now he was in so much pain, he was so sick that he couldn't even get out of bed. Earlier that morning, Daisy had made her husband take some Epsom salts to try to make him feel better, but his health quickly deteriorated after taking them. So was he having some sort of allergic reaction to the salts? Daisy called to her neighbors for help, telling them to come quickly because there was something wrong with her husband. When they arrived, they would observe Elfie completely drenched in his own sweat, writhing in pain, purple in the face, and even foaming at the mouth. A doctor was fetched, and when he had a look at Elfie, he said it could have been a hysterical seizure, meaning something in his head was causing all of these physical symptoms. The doctor believed that it could have even been a symptom of shell shock, and Elfie was in the war. It definitely wasn't treated like a medical emergency. Daisy was given a prescription for something that would just calm him down, not really treat his symptoms, and that was it. Elfie's condition rapidly declined, so another doctor was called in to give them a second opinion. Again, Elfie told his doctor how he had taken some Epsom salts earlier in the day, and then while he was lacing up his boots, he just began convulsing uncontrollably, literally just throwing his back and his head back. This doctor believed that his condition was opisthotones, which are these full body spasms where you arch your back and you throw your head back. These kind of spasms could be caused by anything from a traumatic brain injury to even a poisoning. At 9.30 a.m. that morning, Elfie would die during one of these horrible convulsions. The doctor asked Daisy to go and fetch him that bottle of Epsom salts that Elfie had used earlier that day so that he could examine it. Maybe there was something wrong with it. It would need to be analyzed, and until then, the doctor noted that he could not issue a death certificate. 
For whatever reason, he allowed Daisy to hold on to this bottle of Epsom salt, and he trusted her to hand it in to the police herself. But she never would. An autopsy on Elfie's body would be conducted, and the examiner determined that he had died of a cerebral hemorrhage, or what they called Bright's disease, which is basically inflammation of the kidneys. Unfortunately for some people, including Elfie, Bright's disease can be fatal. As a result of Elfie's untimely death, Daisy inherited 1,795 pounds, which equates to around 2,200 US dollars, or $80,000 today. She also received Elfie's pension, along with their family home, which was paid off. Daisy had suddenly become a woman of wealth, and she was the head of her own household. She saw that her son, Rhodes, was still really struggling, particularly after the death of his father. So she spent her money well on a prestigious boarding school. While her son was away at school, Daisy decided to go back to work as a nurse. So she started back at the Children's Memorial Hospital. It's said that her patients really loved her. She was a great nurse, very attentive and compassionate as she had experienced the death of four of her own babies and now even her husband. Approximately three years later, Daisy would meet and marry her second husband, another plumber named Richard Sprout. Just like her first husband, Richard was quite a bit older than Daisy, with Daisy being 36 years old and Richard being 46, 10 years her senior. She clearly has a type. Clearly, she likes older men who just so happen to be plumbers. I can make a joke there, but I'm not going to. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. 
today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors no prep, no mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. In the fall of 1927, Richard suddenly became very ill, suffering from violent convulsions very similar to that of Elfie. This mysterious illness seemed to come out of nowhere. He didn't have any pre-existing conditions. Richard would recover at some point, only just a few weeks later, while he was out having a few beers with some friends, these convulsions hit him again out of nowhere and this time, he wouldn't recover. The doctor who attended the scene would write on the death certificate that Richard had died of arteriosclerosis and cerebral hemorrhage. It was thought just to be another tragic death related to his poor health condition. So, an autopsy of his body wouldn't need to be performed. As part of his estate, Daisy inherited over 4,000 pounds, plus his pension, which would be close to $200,000 today. Four years after her second husband was dead and buried in the ground, Daisy would marry her third husband, another plumber named Sidney Clarence DeMelker. Sidney was also a widower, and he had a daughter from his previous marriage. Rhodes was now 20 years old, and he was living back at home with his mother and her new husband. His sister-in-law would later say that he was incredibly lazy and generally just unwilling to get up for work in the morning. It wouldn't be long until someone in the house once again became violently ill with convulsions. This time, it wouldn't be Daisy's new love interest, but rather her only living son, Rhodes. Rhodes was at work drinking his coffee from his thermos when suddenly he became violently ill. He just started throwing up uncontrollably. Another coworker that he had shared his coffee with that morning 
also became very ill. This co-worker was lucky enough to have only had a few sips of the coffee, so he would recover in the hospital. However, just a few days later, Rhodes would die. His cause of death was listed as cerebral malaria, which again is another complication of malaria. Obviously, this is going to be one of the first causes for doctors to point to. Malaria was rampant in the area back in the 1900s. So these were symptoms that everyone was sort of cautioned to watch out for. In her son's death, Daisy would inherit a measly 100 pounds from his life insurance policy. So not a whole ton. With Rhodes' death, people began to talk. Neighbors started to get suspicious, and they weren't the only ones. In fact, the brother of Daisy's first husband, Alfie, had been talking to law enforcement recently because he had his own suspicions over Alfie's death. The police really only had rumors and assumptions at that point, nothing concrete to go on. That is, until Rhodes' death and his death looked eerily similar to Daisy's first two husbands. Now, investigators decided that it was time to exhume the bodies of William Elfie Cowell, Robert Sprout, and Rhodes Cowell. Rhodes' body was the first to be examined, and though he had only died recently, the medical examiner was surprised at how shockingly well it had been preserved. Apparently, this is a sign of a body having a large quantity of arsenic in it. They tested Rhodes' hair, his organs, his bones, and they confirmed the presence of arsenic. He had been poisoned. They were also able to confirm that trace amounts of arsenic were found in the hair and the fingernails of his co-worker, the one who had sampled his coffee that morning. Alfie Cowell and Robert Spote's bodies, they were far more decomposed, and thus they were more difficult to test. Still, they found a pesticide called strychnine in their bones. This is a poison and it had turned their bones a shade of pink. It would have been a fairly easy poison to obtain at the time. Police arrested Daisy for the murders of her first two husbands and her only son. This was a huge story at the time, hitting the front page of every newspaper. Women were not commonly known to be killers, let alone killing their own flesh and blood for a quick buck. One woman who saw Daisy's photo in the newspaper came forward with her own claim. She alleged that just a week prior to Rhodes suddenly dying, a woman who signed her name as Mrs. D. L. Sprout came into her shop many miles away and purchased arsenic. The woman claimed that she needed it in order to humanely put down her sick cat. Daisy had used the last name of her former husband to purchase this poison just a week before her son died. That was as good as any evidence they could get. This was one of the first mainstream cases in South Africa where they would bring in these forensic experts to speak on the physical evidence of murder by arsenic and strychnine. Daisy became somewhat of a local celebrity. Everyone wanted to catch just a glimpse of the woman who was accused of poisoning her first two husbands and her son. The courthouse was absolutely packed. 
and it's said that Daisy very much enjoyed the attention. When she would arrive for a trial that day, she would wave to the crowds while she was dressed all in black, of course, a sign of mourning. To many, it seemed that Daisy, she kind of thought that she was going to be acquitted of all of these accusations, but she was very wrong. Though the judge would declare that the prosecution could not prove that Daisy's first and second husbands, Elfie and Richard, had died from being poisoned, they believed she had used a poison called strychnine to kill them. This drug was very commonly used to kill rats back in the day, and unfortunately, there is no antidote to cure it once someone has taken it. It's colorless, it's odorless, but it still has a very bitter taste. Just a small amount could prove to be fatal. Someone who has ingested strychnine will experience violent and painful muscle spasms and these full body convulsions. When the convulsions start to get really bad, the lungs stop working and the victim stops breathing. Back in the early 1900s, there were trace amounts of strychnine used in different tonics because in very small quantities, it can actually make you feel pretty good by raising your blood pressure. However, if a patient were to take one of these tonics without shaking the bottle properly, they might find themselves in a bit of trouble because they might ingest maybe a bit too much of the concentrated dose of strychnine, which could result in a horrible accidental death. When people started to learn what this drug could do to a person, it became one of the most popular poisons to be used in a murder. Which would make sense why Daisy would use it on her first two husbands, though of course, it's never been proven. However, with her son's death, there was physical proof that she had given him arsenic in his coffee that morning. Rhodes' autopsy showed that his body had traces of arsenic still in it. The thermos that contained his morning coffee, it was also tested, and it was positive for arsenic. His co-worker, who drank that same coffee, he was also sick that day, again, tested arsenic poisoning. But the nail in the coffin was that there was proof that Daisy had purchased this poison less than a week prior to her son's death. Arsenic is all too easy to access, particularly in the early 1900s when it was found in tons of everyday items, like I'm talking even children's toys, so you could get it just about anywhere. The symptoms for arsenic poisoning are very similar to those of food poisoning, which would make it easy for a killer to use, especially in small doses, without ever getting caught. So when their victim would become sick, their illness would basically mimic several other more natural causes, like a stomach bug. Someone who ingests it will experience severe vomiting, dehydration, and then ultimately organ failure. Both Rhodes and his co-worker had all of the signs of being poisoned by arsenic. The trial would last for 30 days, and in the end, Daisy would be sentenced by a judge to hang for the murder of her son, Rhodes. Many people wondered what her motive was for killing her one and only child. Well, it's rumored that Rhodes was a bit of a disappointment to her. 
Though she did everything in her power to ensure that they had what they needed to survive in life, like all the money in the world and a roof over their head, she had even killed her first two husbands to ensure that they were okay. Apparently, he wasn't appreciative. He was lazy, and she basically grew tired of having to take care of him. This is all just speculation, though. As for the murders of her first and second husbands, unfortunately, they couldn't be proven. Still, she would be sentenced to die for her crime. When asked if there was anything that she would like to say, Daisy responded with, quote, I am not guilty of poisoning my son. The judge would tell her, I can pass only one sentence. Daisy Louisa DeMelker, I find you guilty of poisoning your son, Rhodes Cecil Cowell, which had caused his death. You will be taken from here to a place of execution where you will hang by the neck until you are dead and may God have mercy on your soul. In the end, she was sentenced to die by hanging, which she did on December 30th, 1932. She would be the second woman to ever hang in South Africa, though her third husband, Sidney, always stuck by her side, believing that she was innocent until the very end. Sidney would go on to have two more wives in the future, so eventually he did move on and kind of get over it. Personally, I think he was just lucky enough to walk away with his life. Today, Daisy is somewhat of a legend in South Africa. Because this black widow died angry and convinced that she did no wrong, many people believe that she is now a vengeful ghost. If a door happens to blow shut from a strong gust of wind, then it's quite common to say, it must be the ghost of Daisy DeMelker. There are also rumors that she haunts Ward 7 of what was the children's hospital, but today is the Florence Transition Home. This is the place where Daisy once worked as a nurse, caring for her young, fragile patients, while also developing a deep interest in poisons and what they can do to the body. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm over on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Serial underscore Napper. I also post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're listening to the audio version of my podcast, just know that I post all of my episodes in video format over on YouTube, so go check it out. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like 
The Origins of Fairy Sherlock Holmes. And the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave, you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!